Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Welcome to the show. This is Stephen Mo speaking. On this podcast, we get to meet a lot of social entrepreneurs, and today is no exception. Bailey Perryman is the co-founder of Cultivate Christchurch, which is a social enterprise running a network of urban farms here in Christchurch, New Zealand. So we're going to learn all about his story, as well as how these farms are helping out a huge number of young people. And one of the exciting things is that when this episode airs, they will be about to open what they're calling broccoli bonds, where people like you would be able to invest in what Cultivate Christchurch is doing, and you can actually choose to get vegetables back on your investment. It's a really unique way of raising money for this great social enterprise, so I hope you'll check out their website. Here's an excerpt from the conversation with Bailey. So a seed knows that it's going to be a sunflower, and the role of the farmer or anybody who cultivates life is to create the best possible conditions for that seed to become the best possible sunflower mm-hmm. or the best possible Bailey or the best possible Stephen. Mm-hmm. And so that's why parenthood is such an incredible responsibility but also yeah. a privilege because you get to create those conditions for, for, for life to thrive. Now in the next week we're going to be speaking with another social entrepreneur from Australia named Daniel Flynn. He co-founded Thank You at age 19. And that's really blown up in Australia, and they have plans to expand to New Zealand. Daniel had a lot of great things to say as a young leader of a social enterprise making a real impact. Their aim is to end global poverty. If you don't want to miss out on that and other upcoming episodes, then hit subscribe. Now, I've said before this is a word-of-mouth podcast, so if you can share it with a friend, that would be great. I've also set up a Facebook page, so if you search Seeds Talking Purpose, you can find that. Then you'll be able to see some behind-the-scenes things like a few videos, and I'll make sure to update it whenever a new episode has been uploaded. Now, let's dive straight into the interview with Bailey. So it's great to be able to welcome Bailey Perryman from Cultivate Christchurch today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, we were talking before about titles, and we were going through, what was it, director and co-founder and underground scientist. Is that right? That is about right for now. Yep. (laughs) Um, So today we're going to talk a lot about Cultivate and what you're up to, and particularly um, going out and um, having a a crowdfunding campaign and um, getting people to invest. Um, But before we get into that, I'd love to go back to the beginning of your own life and just hear about where you're from and and, um, where you grew up. Cool. Yeah, so I was born in Whangarei. And uh, my mother and father, I guess, we were kind of in transit. And it always seemed, just from my perspective, it always seems like seemed like we were going to land in Christchurch and, and grow up in Christchurch, and that's what we did. I was six months old, and I already had an older brother. And soon after that, we had another another brother join us, so... One of three boys in the middle. Right. And and you moved here when you were six months old, so this is yeah. this is it, isn't this it? Is this is all you remember. And yeah. you know. Yeah. And for lots of other reasons as well. There I am the no, my son is the seventh generation Perryman on my father's side. 
mm. to have lived basically within the Port Hills, Taitapu area. So we have a fairly strong connection to that part of the city and definitely feel that. And growing up, did, was that a part of your identity and who you were? Did you Definitely. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, we lived, our family home still is out in Sumner. And that's where we landed when I was a baby. And uh, it's a beautiful place to grow up. Yeah. Incredible environment. I've always felt like it was a sanctuary, really. Uh, incredibly privileged, really, to have grown up there and had a family got a got a piece of land in there, uh, property in there before it went crazy with all the new um, new money coming in from mostly from England. <laughs> but it's a beautiful community and a beautiful environment with the hills and the ocean and spending a lot of time out in the water uh, surfing or just swimming or sometimes gathering seafood and a lot of time up in the hills running and uh, planting trees. And it's, a, it's a beautiful place. So it was a childhood that was full of outdoors, it sounds like. Yeah, if I wasn't playing uh, football with my brothers, then I was out in the ocean or running around or, yeah, in my teenage years on the milk truck delivering milk to around the whole whole valley. Uh, yeah. Did you run around with the delivering the bottles, you mean? Or? Yeah, so yeah, I right. hang, hang off this. It's the, basically the most sought-after job for a teenage boy and we're paid well and it was quick and you're you know outdoors you're running you're keeping fit um did you used to have the thing that you'd sort of push along as well or do you were you running from the trucks we just hung on the side of the truck yeah. um hail or shine hail or shine we were hanging onto the side of the truck and we had a little half crate we would jump out with i think that held maybe 10 bottles and we'd do a little dash up the street and yeah um, change them out, stash the money in your pouch, and yeah. jump back on. Was that? Did they have tokens, or was it just coins? Yeah, there were tokens. Yeah, because well. I remember the tokens. I was going to say. Yeah, the tokens. Yeah. Uh, one pouch for tokens, one pouch for coins. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and then I also had work uh, through high school years in the local Thai restaurant, Sticky Rice Thai restaurant. I basically did everything there from kitchen hand right the way through to waiting. I think I even spent a night behind the gas hobs doing some cooking too. Um, yeah. So these were your first introductions to customer service and yeah, things, I guess. Hospitality. And, yeah. Um, also Thai food. Right. <laughs> which I love. Yeah. And so just take us back. You're you're doing your milk runs and you got your job in the Thai um, yep. restaurant. Um, did you have a sense at that time, sort of high school days, of what you might end up doing, or? Was there a particular area that interested you? Mm. I really wanted to be an architect from a young age. I remember having scrapbooks full of floor pans that I used to draw. and I spent a lot of time playing SimCity on the computer, which was uh, kind of like my first foray into town planning and meta-scale thinking, I think. And then... I almost left high school in the sixth form, year 12, to become a chef and I wanted to build boats and travel and sail and I still very much would enjoy doing that but my art history teacher convinced me to finish and go to architecture school which it took 
the first year out of university I didn't do that I went south to Dunedin I got offered a scholarship to study surveying and I lasted six weeks in that right <laughs> I spent the rest of the first semester doing art history and uh, maths I think I finished the maths course because that's what I needed I had decided then that I was going to go and pursue architecture and um spent the rest of the year in Dunedin just enjoying what student life has to offer. Right. (laughs) And so after six weeks, you knew quite quickly that you didn't want to do that. I mean, what was it that it was actually the maths, right? Uh, I enjoy that. I have a math brain. I can comprehend it. And I'd always done well at at it through high school. And, Mm. uh, then I looked at how much of it I would need to be doing and it just didn't feel right. Mm. And so I, called the people who managed the scholarship and said, it's not me, mm. will you back me to change, which was quite specifically said in the agreement that they wouldn't, but they did and supported me for another couple of years, which was amazing. But yeah, I, we'd been told even um, the first session saying how much surveyors get paid as, as graduates and then even a couple of years into it and the money was fairly attractive but it's never been a motivation yeah so it's i wasn't compelled by it right so i just dropped out yep Yep. so what happened next in terms of did you stay down in dunedin or did you go somewhere else finished the year in dunedin and then the following year i was at vic uni in wellington Mm. doing the first year architecture I could have applied myself towards that better. I think I had a bit more, I definitely had a bit more growing up to do as a young man. And it was competitive entry into the second year and I didn't make the cut. I had a B plus average. But I was also starting to realise that I didn't have what all designers kind of innately need to have. And that was the skill to take a concept and something out of your head and into the theoretical space and convert it into a nice drawing or something that has form, physical form. I just didn't have that. I could work at it and I could paint and, and you know, I could, could do that side of things, but I didn't have that spark. And it took me another year to fully realise that. I came down to... Lincoln University to do second year landscape architecture yeah and that's when I really realized I'm missing something here and funnily enough the year after I changed into the environmental management program at Lincoln by that stage I had three-thirds of a degree (laughs) and I was a laughing stock amongst my friends Um, but it was good motivation you know called me out and said look mate if we know you can do it you just gotta prove it and uh, uh, one friend in particular said that to me and I was a bit angry at first and then I realized he was right and I so I started came back from little my scholarship managed to pay for a holiday in Southeast Asia which is pretty loose but I uh, came back in one piece and sat down in the front of the class for environment environmental studies 101 and with Hamish Rennie who's been a massive uh, mentor for me ever since and uh, 
he's still out at Lincoln Uni, but um, yeah, and just started applying myself. And one of the essays I had to write in a, another, I was still doing a landscape paper on design theory, uh, was what what is design, kind of what is that innate thing? And I could write about that extensively because I knew I didn't have it. Right. <laughs> Whilst I was one, the only non-landscape architecture student in that paper and the professor ended up giving me an A plus for the paper and I think it's because I could finally speak from a place of personal experience and I learned how to do that in an academic context and from there I think my learning journey really started to accelerate because mm. I realised this learning journey is actually about myself it's not me just getting fed information that I've got to try and regurgitate or make sense of it's here to inform me and help me to become uh, a better better person and make a meaningful contribution to the world mm. it sounds like that was quite a meaningful realization then because oh, yeah. it, it, yeah. it, it flipped powerful. it flipped your switch in terms of yep. what you're going to do yep. yeah i definitely changed and i enjoyed that and i i spend most of my most of my time now that's really come through to cultivate realizing that a lot of young men in particular but all people really they go through a period where they're a period where they're not 100 percent sure what they want to do they may feel some drive towards something and be able you know you'll see it in the way they speak about certain things people are like oh his or her eyes light up when they talk about something it's like, mm. oh there's some passion there what is that and you cultivate that but I saw that that also is a really difficult journey for a lot of people. You've got to go through it. And mm. so how do you support people through that? Mm. Yeah. yeah, that was going to be my question was, did you have to go through it to come to that realization? It sounds like the answer is yes. You probably do have to go through that doubt and not, not being sure. There's the odd, the odd very rare human is just born with it. Mm. But that's probably once in a century type of people and they do really profound things mm. I think now my own personal belief but I feel like every child is being born with that level of incredible capability and we're shifting into a different energetic structure as a, as a collective and as a as a people on a global scale in which that is the conditions are far more suited to that thriving and coming through rather than being constrained by old world thinking and systems. Mm. And, yeah. Mm. Well, let's come back to that in a few minutes when we're talking about Cultivate. Cool. Um, why don't we move on then in terms of um, what you were studying and um, what happened next? You stayed at Lincoln and finished yeah. that off? Yeah. So I had, I started to have consistent series of these types of really strong guidance or messages or things that were happening to me which some might call synchronicity or even being introduced to that word for example was enabling for me to start to recognize patterns that were guiding me in my life and I like I said I had that first spark where in which I realized I'm sort of the master of my own learning journey I'm responsible for that and started taking responsibility for that. And so from then on, things started to 
to come to me and I guess the next major thing was sitting in one of my so I think it was a 300 level planning class about sustainable development and we were going round in circles with different theories of mm. how the world is going to solve ecological crisis well just one crisis after another and I had just snapped and kind of thought nah, I need to go and see this I need to practice this I need to test this out I need to put stuff into action and work at it and see it for myself and experience it for myself and understand what is going to work and what will uh, what won't rather and so I did that I again like a uh, like a perfect sign I was walking home off the bus uh, back from university and there's a sign out for the local residents association AGM so I'll, I'll go along and uh, one of the local firemen <laughs> nominated me to be a youth voice on the committee okay. and everybody kind of just um, by acclamation I was appointed before <laughs> I knew what was happening and that's, that's the danger of turning up to AGMs so. <laughs> And then within the first meeting, a local community development worker came along and suggested this concept of community gardening. And I immediately just started seeing kind of like visions, I guess, not in a biblical way, but I could see very clearly what that might look like and, and really enjoyed that. And so I started doing it, tried to find land and pulled together groups and met wonderful people like Margaret Jeffries from Project Littleton uh, and yeah, just started doing it. Yeah. So what year are we talking about at the moment? This was 2007 or 2008? Mm -hmm. 2008 actually, yeah. 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 That's good. And so um, what happened next in terms of you finished your degree and then were doing this as well, or what was going on? I didn't finish my degree until 2011. Right. So I I was part-time most of it yep. and just enough to get the student allowance, but also enough to give me some creative freedom I guess and it sounds like you were busy with all these other initiatives I got super busy with them and they mm. were amazing because I was then I didn't need to study for exams or do put a whole lot of effort into the coursework because I was doing the reading from a place of enjoyment and reading wider than the topic because I was genuinely interested in it and that's how I arrived at a theory for my paper or whatever I needed to write and seeing that playing out in front of my own eyes in my community and the different things I was getting involved in. So it's really easy to write from a place of experience. And that was just, that was really empowering. And I started getting really good results of, from my laser marks. Because that's really what education should be, isn't it? Rather than academic sort of, and I started, you know, studying from a book to actually say, well, I've read that article, but... Yeah. The reality yeah. as seen over here is this. And so. I started getting involved in like a student journal publication, the mm -hmm. Lincoln Planning Review, and continuing that and really starting to hone in on that thing of experiential learning. Like this is a really good thing for a lot of students to do. I got involved in Student Planning Association and uh, 
was student representative to the New Zealand Planning Institute. All sorts. I just was like craving more and more deeper and meaningful learning for myself and chucking myself into uh, more and more challenging situations. So that, yeah, that kind of just continued to spiral until around, till I graduated with an honours degree in environmental management and was going, was lining up a whole bunch of work with a few colleagues to other students to do further the work in the surf break protection area and set up an organisation to integrate outdoor education, uh, surfing competitions as well as spending time in that environment like a camp kind of situation where we would connect with the land, connect with the place and the communities in that area and, and do work and say like plantings or dune restoration or considering the whole environment that supports that surf break. So it might be a whole river catchment and bringing awareness to that as well as doing the advocacy and research Mm. side of things too and at the same time the community gardening stuff was starting to get some grow some roots uh, so to speak and I had to choose between the two I knew I was going to have to choose and in a really kind of gnarly way the choice was made for me by one of the colleagues I was working with on the surf break stuff he took his own life halfway through his own master's thesis and yeah that was pretty pretty blunt basically and his family asked me to finish the research so I did and we at the same time I was I knew that a fellow who had been a part of the advocacy movement that got surf breaks into the coastal policy statement in the first place he also took his own life. And so there's quite a strong kind of negative vortex around this work and it was really difficult to navigate that whilst, you know, honouring mm. Matt and his work and, and his, his family's request of me and getting it to a place where somebody else could pick it up and take it on with mm. um, carefully. Mm. And also shifting into a new phase of my life which was post-study looking to make community gardening a more sustainable livelihood for myself and that's where I came across the concept of local food enterprise and social enterprise and so that was what 2012 that's where the food stuff really started taking off for me right and then the earthquakes hit and then that was kind of this massive outpouring of community spirit and willingness to participate and it was incredible from a from my point of view and having studied these things I could understand quite intricately I felt yeah. what was happening quite quickly I got involved with local community community-led recovery planning type responses and they were hugely uh, hugely well engaged with by the by the local community and they could see me and there was a whole lot that I could offer and people were beginning to 
trust me as a young adult who matured somewhat rather than the teenage kid who terrorized the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I came, well, it might appear that I came from an academic, I come from an academic perspective. It's very much grounded with real mm. actions. Well, it sounds like even when you were studying, you were actually getting involved yeah. in these community groups yep. and that was what was informing your academic studies, wasn't yeah. it? So it was like a loop. That they became was... intertwined and ever since I've always been a big reader and mm. it's uh, it's just good reflexive practice, basically. Yeah, no, that's great. So what happened next? Maybe take us up to the Cultivate journey and sort mm. of how did that begin? And I was fortunate enough to be awarded the World of Difference grant from the Vodafone Foundation in 2013. They really backed me to go down that whole journey of making community gardening a more sustainable livelihood for myself and in the process figure out a way to integrate youth development into that. Out of that, I did some work with Jade Timapata of Kakano fame and we formed a pretty strong connection and we could definitely agree on a whole lot of the purpose of what we were trying to achieve and how we could involve young people in that process, in particular young families. And I think I basically had set too many objectives for that year and that work, whilst it got going... It was just, the, I think, the context of trying to do gardening in people's homes when the community was asking for uh, action to be happening outside of the home, basically, for connect spaces where people can connect. Yeah, so it didn't continue. I wouldn't say it was a failure, but it, it definitely there were a bunch of challenges that the context were really difficult and also trying to operate in the eastern suburbs of Christchurch, this so much change going on so I think we have to forgive forgive ourselves for not necessarily succeeding there also it was a lesson for me in how to fail uh, having basically succeeded in any anything that I applied myself to so talk us through that how did you um how did you come to that realization that it, oh, that it was, was okay to fail it was painful and a lot of um personal reflection but uh, also just accepting that and so what so what did you learn from the failure or was there it's part of life yeah you have to do it and you have to learn how to do it well and uh, do exactly that learn from what didn't work why and where the tensions were and what needs to be exercised or what needs to be changed in my own mind about what my expectations were or how I communicated with somebody how we reached agreements or not and pay attention to as kind of feedback loops right yeah so to fail well involves learning from that experience that's the key thing is it yeah and try not to do it again (laughs) (laughs) yeah (coughs) and it's always a good thing yeah (laughs) so what what were some of the next steps that that happened the other part of what I was doing was going really well, which was what became Garden City 2.0, which was a very aspirational name for a local food distribution 
company. We sourced surplus produce, whatever was in season, from organic market gardeners around Christchurch and sold that online as a pre-bagged delivery and that grew to about 120 deliveries a week and we also took on a little pop-up market opportunity in a life and vacant spaces style space in in Sumner actually in the courtyard of the Thai restaurant where I used to work oh really Uh, so we made that the fresh produce market and opened it up one day a week and people of Sumner loved it the supermarket didn't and we I learnt some amazing things about outright commercial competition and the potential of of supermarkets marketing budgets uh, versus what we were doing but it was really really amazing and sounds like it was another learning experience huh? yeah <laughs> steep yeah. and also amazingly fulfilling for me to do something that in a community that I grew up in and had supported me so much through especially through my childhood and my my family uh to be able to give back in that way was really fulfilling and having a lot of the elders in the community come down and say, oh yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> I remember I you. I remember you. <laughs> you used to deliver the milk. <laughs> you, weren't always, you weren't always a good little boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was lovely for me to, yeah. in so many ways and yeah. to just the warmth an appreciation that people showed for it as well. Yeah. Not merely just the to be able to have access to genuinely fresh quality mm. produce. Mm. So what I'm hearing is that there's kind of layers of in your life that are building up to something. Yeah. yeah. Um, because you know, if you go even way back to the beginning, you know, just working in the restaurant and learning yeah. about customer service and then Absolutely. studying environment and and then earthquakes and community gardens and selling fresh produce so maybe bring us up to sort of modern day present day in terms of how that started with cultivate and um yeah how you got to that place yeah i mean that's normally the question that comes first like how did you how did you come to be doing what you do with cultivate christchurch and i have to say it's like you say it's the sum of Mm. my life today and which I really enjoy because I can just bring myself mm. uh, every day and and trust that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. So yeah, through the Vodafone Foundation, I got the opportunity, all of the alumni got the opportunity to pitch a collaboration between alumni. And uh, so I got in touch with Faye Stewart, who I didn't really know at the time. But she was the only other person living in Christchurch and I was kind of, yeah, I wanted to have a crack at it, and so we met up, had a coffee, and an hour later we realised we had really similar ideas about what we might like to do, mm. and right there and then, Cultivate Christchurch was Wow, cool. happened pretty quick then. <laughs> yeah. Over a coffee, I mean. I yeah. mean, it had been building up for years to that, but and also you know, for to meet someone and then realise that there's an alignment of values and purpose and vision. And it's also true for for Fee as well. Mm. I'm sure she won't mind me saying she had 
very much been wanting to do something and had almost given up on it until mm. I got in touch. So did you think you needed each other to, to yes. be able to, to advance? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to just unpack that a little bit? Like, because it is, again, when I earlier I referred to old, old world systems and so in the new world it's everything is about collective and so a project like this would have to be a collective action in order to be at all relevant or mm. resonant with the spirit of these these times yeah so it couldn't be a top-down no i'm i founded it and here's what we're doing no. what you're saying is you need that interaction and the you know the co-founding spirit of we're in it together yeah i'm not saying that can't work mm. for for me it just rings true that it has to be a collaboration and ever since it has been we've worked really hard to empower a collective mm. build our own team around us in such a way where always the goal is to support people to be doing what they're really passionate about and to find balance in their own lives. And Fee and I also really consciously started with the most ideal situations for ourselves. Uh, I wanted to, I was just starting my own family and uh, my wife and I had uh, very clear kind of plans to work part-time because we have equally strong interests and passions and wanted to mm. follow those and mm. uh, at the same time be present for our children and so we've been able to manage that balance and it's within each individual regardless of whether it's the young people who are coming to us through different youth organizations or our staff right the way across the board anybody we're always seeking to respond to their most uh, what, what their deepest expression of of their purpose here in this life, and and the best cultivate the best version of each other. Mm, that's great. So some people are listening, not from Christchurch, they won't know anything about what you guys are trying to do. Could you give that sort of high level overview of what you're aiming to achieve? To build a network of urban farms throughout the city where we have plenty of space and for those spaces to support, to inspire and engage our, our young people to, to live a life that they value. And we do that through each of those spaces, uh, try and make them as accessible as possible. And they become the setting, I guess, for the relationship building and the connections that uh, kind of happen naturally when you put together and that people together in that kind of space or invite people in certain terms into that kind of environment where everything is striving and naturally a natural system like a, an organic farming system it's all everything there every plant every seed it's all striving to be mm. the best version of itself it just does that nature mm. does that and so uh, when there was such acute challenges facing the city of what to do with this space, uh, we, you know, urban farmers see a vacant lot and just see rows of 
cabbages or rows of salad mix <laughs> and uh, Fee pretty quickly caught that bug from me started seeing all of the potential and then we started de- deciding right what's the most important thing here of, of, about what we're trying to achieve we, if we're trying to make these bases accessible for young people because there are a lot of young people who are really struggling in particular with uh, from a mental health perspective but also long-standing uh, fractures within the social fabric of Christchurch really you know, a lot of inequality that was exacerbated by the by the earthquakes and weren't seeing really genuine responses to that so we wanted to meet that critical need amongst our young people at a you know from zero to three so my first most formative stage of a person's life and it's through their teenage years where they're also going through a second really powerful change in who they are and grappling with that whole why am I here uh, what am I going to do how am I going to realize that and also kind of what I described in my own journey started to recognize that everybody's got to go through that awakening and also what Dr. Rudolf Steiner calls the grey misery. We have to. We have to confront ourselves. And in the context of an earthquake recovery where so much is being disrupted and so much is disturbed and in flux, resilience, consider that word for a moment, it means the capacity to adapt and thrive in your new environment so we really wanted to create spaces where people could come and feel safe they could get to independently and they could also come in and exercise whatever it is that was and uh perhaps stopping them from from feeling or, or stepping into what their, their purpose is mm. and being, you know, cultivating mm. the best version of, of And I guess a, a, achieving their potential, sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. And having done community gardening, I'd already had some senses that that energy or the potential energy there, in particular from young people, any young people who are involved, that could be applied at a more intensive larger scale mm. without losing the incredibly valuable social uh, connections and support that people get from one another in that space mm. I think that's the attraction for a lot of people for community gardening I felt like you could apply that produce a whole lot more food potentially at a commercial at a scale where you could bring in a commercial element and maintain the integrity of that as as a collective choosing to do these things and, and working along, you know, agreeing with that purpose and, and committing to it. Mm. So that's the major thing that we've been testing, I guess, and Christchurch has been an incredibly fertile uh, ground and environment to, to do that. There's a lot of acceptance already for community gardening and also a big shift towards sustainability-type thinking or greener thinking. So it's been running for a, a couple of years now. Um, you know, you talked about testing and the vision of what you just outlined is great. You know, 
making sure that young people can find their purpose and achieve their potential. Is there is that something that you're now seeing come through? You know, people have been involved for a while, and and you're hearing stories that it's actually helping. Mm. Every day, every day we have seen amazing transformations in, in people, and, and Fee has more of a youth work background, and she has she hasn't seen, and other other youth workers have said this as well. They haven't seen the types of transformations in people anywhere else before mm. and each agree that it is the environment that really is what is enabling that just the being outdoors and kind of doing something that's not it's there's nothing clinical mm. from a medical perspective you know there's nothing clinical about that context and well, to use that word organic, it's very, very organic, isn't it? Because yep. you're getting your hands dirty yep. and you're planting things and exactly. you're harvesting and, you yep. know, there's a, a do this and here's the result. Yep. Yeah, and quite naturally in that setting, you'll have a conversation with mm. somebody and that setting just kind of feels like a neutral space yeah. in a way. And, and that's not to say that the experience now we know right from day one we're testing different things and, and we, we know now that there's a certain structure that is works for us at the moment yeah and people come in and have an initial experience as such and not everyone enjoys being outside and enjoys physical work uh, and they might stay come back a couple of times and uh, then they'll go on to something else mm-hmm. but I feel like even at that level we're serving quite a strong purpose we're reflecting Mm. something back Mm. that is supportive and and kind of kind and caring and and we can help make connections too for other organizations or other things to go on and try that are perhaps a little bit closer to what the individual is interested in yeah so even if they come for a short time there's the potential impact there oh definitely And, and what are some of the other key elements that you build into the the program or how you treat people when they first arrive is there anything because i the thing i love about talking with people from a diverse range of you know experiences and places is maybe someone who's listening to this is not running a community garden but they might listen to you and go oh that's an interesting concept um is there anything that you think might apply to other organizations i guess there is a model for the way we interact with anybody but in particular the young people is the risk it's on a strengths base for each individual. What are your strengths? What are you interested in? And what are some strengths that you would like to, what are some things that you'd like to work on or improve on? And we structure in basic, basic feedback around that and it revolves around each individual. So it's really listening to them yeah. and rather than saying, well, you go do this and you go do that, it's actually... And there's no set time. Right. They have to be there. Uh, and we've had people move on to what we call an internship. We have eight interns at the moment who are all paid and they then are working in the farm doing the day-to-day tasks of the farm, part of the whole team as well as uh, they'll be receiving kind of, I guess, and again, to use that word, organic 
counseling and mm. support to identify goals identify perhaps things that are not working for them outside of when they're at cultivate that might help them to achieve their goals mm. and we so we our our staff is is uh, kind of like half yeah formally trained in counseling with an interest in working at cultivate outdoors and with food or formally trained in organic horticulture and uh, naturally a, a caring um, role model strong leadership mm. type yeah oh, that's the, good yeah. yeah the thing uh, so this podcast I've called it seeds which uh, resonates yeah. with what you're doing and the reason I chose that name was that I, I love the image that a seed looks like it's dead you know it's just sitting there and then you plant it, you water it, you look after it, and, well, what's this that's growing? And, yeah. and, and the idea that the stories, that these interviews that I'm doing with people, yeah. that they could be like seeds that go out, you know, and yeah. someone listening to this interview could actually be like, wow, I, I got something from that. You yeah. know, I, I love that organic quality to what you're talking about as well. Yeah. It really, it resonates with me. So and that's what we're looking for. So a seed knows that it's going to be a sunflower. And the role of the farmer or anybody who cultivates life is to create the best possible conditions for that seed to become the best possible sunflower mm-hmm. or the best possible Bailey or the best possible Stephen. Mm-hmm. And so that's why parenthood is such an incredible responsibility, but also yeah. a privilege because you get to create those conditions for, for, for life to thrive. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. And just because um, I love the, the word social enterprise, and I think you're a great example of that, do you mind just telling a little bit for the people listening in terms of what actually happens to the product when it's yeah. prepared and cool. you know it, from a business point of view? Because people might be interested in that. Like, So we produce food that is sold to restaurants and cafes within the CBD. And we also, so that's the produce of cultivate we have cultivate compost which we collect organic waste from some of the same but also just any cafe and restaurant within the cbd and we kind of quite quickly hit capacity with how much of that we could process and that's the uh, subject of our crowd funding campaign a lending campaign we're about to go live with And the third arm is what we call abundance, which is an edible landscaping arm or branch, which will eventually become, I think, its own company. I guess everything that you're saying, it does fit that that foundation that you've laid. And my my own personal experience of being very much a a child raised by a village in an environment that was Mm. an incredibly... Uh, conducive to not kind of knowing what that feels like yeah which enables me to stand here today and, and kind of talk about community buildings kind of know yeah the stuff of it yeah 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 no that's good and just in terms of the crowdfunding and the next stage for you mm-hmm. um, if people are interested in finding out more is there any I guess messages you know a chance to give your pitch in terms of how they could be involved yeah. Um, and how do they go about finding out more information? Well, people can head to our website, which is cultivate.org.nz. 
and there's a wee banner up on the top where you can click through to pre-register and you'll be able to find out more information we'll be able to send you uh, regular bits and pieces and eventually the information memorandum behind our campaign and so we will be seeking to raise two hundred thousand dollars to and we will be selling it's effectively a lending so people can lend us money we are selling what we're calling broccoli bonds Mm -hmm. and so the idea is that people will be able to choose whether we pay them back in cash plus interest or half cash half produce plus interest or entirely in produce plus interest and they'll be able to collect that produce from us and uh, eventually be able to source it from a fresh produce market and again bring back to life a summer experience of fresh produce market in the central city a part of the new rich people's development where the container mall is and uh, the the money will be put towards scaling up our organic waste collections and really catalyzing an existing circular economy that we have there of collect the waste make compost grow the food and each really the core purpose here is to grow our organization to a point where it is closer to being financially sustainable and we are on that pathway and this is the next step and also in the process we are able to provide more opportunities for young people and more diverse range of opportunities as well Mm. to gain work experience and employment training as well as going into employment too which is really exciting just today we're able to consider now positions of which we would like to fill with interns currently Mm. on the program who are needing to are kind of ready to take another step and quite frankly we don't want to lose them yeah (laughs) uh, because we've invested so much time and energy and, and love into they are and and see so much of seeing so much of their potential mm. that uh, and they know how we operate as well and kind of they've got the vision and the purpose already yeah. don't they i mean they, yeah. they understand what you're trying to achieve and they don't want to go and just do any other job and they're really saying that quite strongly i don't want to just make ends meet until something better comes along i mm. want to go to what I'm interested in. And so people are very strongly, that seed of purpose within individuals is really strong. And you give them even a day or sometimes even an hour experiencing what that's like, and then it's alive within them. And the rest is all about how you cultivate that. Yeah, and they're not going to go back, are they? I think one of the interesting things with these interviews is that I meet lots of people who have a real sense of purpose and quite often they'll say something similar that you just can't go back once no. you've tasted the the nectar of purpose you know it, it, would you go back to the nine to five and the That's whatever it was you were doing before incredibly beautiful way of putting it and i see the same thing in providing real produce to people like genuinely nutritious yeah. food that hasn't been sitting in cool storage or traveled halfway around the world it's still got all its nutritional value 
And when people eat that, it also your body immediately responds to that and starts to reject anything less. And so to be able to have the opportunity to create that level of accessibility to genuinely good food within the heart of the city, off the back of something as simple as redirecting a, a waste stream that's otherwise going to landfill, you know, so solving a problem, we're able to in, increase the impact and inc- enhance an existing solution mm. to something that's it got even bigger potential than that itself. It's really exciting is for it, me. Is it, and I think that's the potential of social enterprise, isn't exactly. it? That it that it can actually take a social or environmental yeah. or whatever the issue is and. Yeah apply business skills to provide a solution. Um, before we end, I just wondered if you could describe, I, I read something that you, um, or I think it was a video, you were talking about a lettuce and the heart of the lettuce. And I just would love to have that image to kind of leave people with. Do you mind telling us a little bit, bit about that? Of course, yeah. It was uh, the first intern we had. I was showing her... She didn't eat uh, a lot of real food. And I was showing her, I was just kind of sh- casually peeling back the core of a cost lettuce. It's kind of, you might think it's just the stem of it, but there's mm. a friend of mine had shown me that if you keep cutting it back, you get to this really incredible, juicy, amazing <laughs> core of this plant you would just never expect to be there. And... I told her it was a, a crystal, a cost crystal, and I gave it to her to eat, and she was just hooked immediately and just, like, was massively distracted, actually. It kind of became a miniature problem, but <laughs> I just wanted to peel back the core of every cost plant, but I've, I felt like it was really powerful because, in particular, her story... And a lot of the young people who come to our site, and, and a lot of people in general, we have this really tough exterior, and as you and, and like a seed as well, you know, it has a, a tough mm. armor around it for good reason. Yeah, for good reason. And, and so too do we have tough armor around us. You know, we may have literally, you know, it's to protect ourselves. But sometimes we forget how to peel that back and as you see young people start to say a lot of them come in wearing their hoods up and their head down and as Mm. you see literally their hoods come off and their heads start to come up and it's like again to use some of the words of one of our interns it's like something blossoming and it is coming to life and so yeah the the analogy of the, the cost lettuce and no matter, no matter who or what, you you peel back those layers enough, and you will find something incredibly pure and, and literally crystalline, and 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 that's that's the essence. That's mm. who we are, mm. and uh, of course, lettuce has just enabled us to give a very real form to that. Yeah, it's a great picture. Thank you for sharing that, and I just want to thank you for your time because I think. At, just hearing your story, you know, right from the beginning, being involved in a small community in Sumner and then growing up, studying, getting this environmental knowledge, 
working with community gardens, earthquake happening, engaging with communities, and now what you're doing, um, not just as a business, but also that heart of reaching out to young people and helping them discover who they are and what their potential is. I mean, it's just really great to hear it. So um, this, this format of a podcast, we can go a bit deeper than just a, you know, a two-minute overview of what is Cultivate. So I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you for talking with me today. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, there's the purpose of the podcast is is very important uh, because there is so much mm. there, mm. and to honor that is a big part of honoring the purpose of our organizations. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. No problem. Well, thanks for joining me. <laughs> I learned a lot from that conversation with Bailey, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Make sure you check out their website to find out more about the Broccoli Bonds which is a great way to support this social enterprise right here in Christchurch. That option of getting paid back in vegetables is such a unique way of investing, so well done to Bailey and the Pledge Me team and everyone involved. So on the next episode, we're going to be speaking with Daniel Flynn, who co-founded the social enterprise Thank You when he was 19 years old. I caught up with him when he was at the Social Enterprise World Forum in Christchurch. Here's an extract from that interview. I'd tell my 19-year-old self, enjoy the process, celebrate the wins, and I'd probably throw in there, this is so much harder than you think it's going to (laughs) be. This is so much more lonely, so much less glamorous, so hard. Mm. It'll be the hardest thing you ever do, but do not give up. Do not give up. And you know, I'm telling my 29-year-old self that right now because it's still hard. It gets harder, and I don't want to give up because I I can see where we should, could be, Mm -hmm. and it's not easy to get there, but I I believe we will. Daniel had a lot of great stories to tell, and I know you're going to enjoy listening to him. Now, I've said before that this is a word-of-mouth podcast, so if you find it helpful, please share it with a friend. Until next time.